0: Welcome to Leadership Works, the podcast focused on leadership in our challenging world. Now, introducing your host, Dr. John Bedker, a leader, practitioner, and a scholar. It's a pleasure to have everyone on the Leadership Works podcast. Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Leadership Works podcast. I am your host, Dr. John Bedker. It is my pleasure to be with you today. Today's episode is a sequel, a follow up to an earlier podcast on gun violence. It's been two weeks since that last podcast on gun violence. Certainly was hopeful that steps would be taken. I would have much to report from a leadership perspective, what leaders had done to try to address this gun culture, gun crisis in the United States. But unfortunately, I have no such legislation or progress to report. I will try to give an update, though, on where those talks currently stand. But I'm going to begin, first of all, by reading a poem, a poem by Amanda Gorman. Now, that name may ring a bell. She was very wonderful young person that read a poem called The Hill We Climb at President Biden's inauguration. Well, now, following the many gun violence events in our country, she's written a hymn entitled "A Hymn for the Hurting. She wrote it on May 27th of this year, 2022, and I'm going to read it for you now, a hymn for the hurting by Amanda Gorman. Everything hurts, our hearts shadowed and strange, minds made muddied and mute. We carry tragedy, terrifying and true, and yet none of it is new. We knew it as home, as horror, as heritage. Even our children cannot be children, cannot be. Everything hurts. It's a hard time to be alive and even harder to stay that way. We're burdened to live out these days while at the same time blessed to outlive them. This alarm is how we know we must be altered, that we must differ or die, that we must triumph or try. Thus, while hate cannot be terminated, it can be transformed into a love that lets us live. May we not just grieve, but give, May we not just ache, but act. May our signed right to bear arms never blind our sight from shared harm. May we choose our children over chaos. May another innocent never be lost. Maybe everything hurts, Our hearts shadowed and strange, but only when everything hurts, may everything change. Again, the poem by Amanda Gorman. So let me start by giving the update of where things are. Well, we're in the talking phase, supposedly. Talking is good. Hopefully talking can lead us somewhere, because as we know, the perspective of leadership, what this podcast is all about, and I think is so critical for our nation, is to do the right thing. The ultimate definition of leadership, do the right thing. Well, here are some of the details currently being discussed. We're not in a time or position to sit down and convert these principles yet to text that can be agreed upon, text that could be voted on, text that could be brought to the House and the Senate and passed. We don't know when and we don't know if that day will come. But here are some of the details of what is being discussed. The proposal clarifies the definition of a federally licensed firearms dealer. Well, that means it's going to try to crack down on criminals who illegally evade the licensing. Next, it penalizes straw purchasing again another crackdown on criminals who might illegally try to straw purchase and then traffic guns. This legislative proposal supports state crisis intervention orders, which is to say it's going to provide resources to states to create and administer laws that would help ensure that these deadly weapons are kept out of the hands of people whom a court had determined to be a danger to themselves or a danger to others. The talk includes an investment in children and family, particularly in mental health services. The proposed legislation actually gives a large investment to increase access to mental health and to suicide prevention programs. Also provides protections for victims of domestic violence. If you were a person convicted of domestic violence or a person who had a restraining order issued, you would be included in the National Instant Criminal Background check system. Now you might think that that's something that already existed, but it does not. So that was included in the current proposals. There's also funding for school-based mental health and support services. So there'll be an investment in these programs to, in schools, expand the mental health and support. Early identification, some intervention programs, and some services that might wrap the home and the school together, which would be a good thing. There's funding for school safety resources. It's another investment in programs to help institute safety measures in and around primary and secondary schools and try to support these prevention efforts. Training for both staff and personnel in the school also for students telehealth programs to increase access again to mental behavioral health via telehealth meaning online internet so these proposals are not certainly bad one could certainly offer they're good they're important They may be critical steps going forward. But notice in what I have just said are the talking points, the proposals at the current time. Again, nothing passed, nothing advanced. We haven't gotten to a text yet of a law or legislation. These are just talking points. That's where we are and I want to give that update, certainly to be fair and complete. There are discussions going on, and these are the topics of the discussions. But what's not there? Automatic weapons. Not even a topic of discussion. Large capacity magazines. Not even a topic of discussion. You would think something as simple and straightforward as universal background checks. Not even on the table. Not even a discussion. Now these are things that most Americans, the majority of Americans, in the case of universal background checks, a substantial amount of Americans support. But these legislators don't even have them on the table to discuss. Too much. Too far. Too aggressive. Of the 60 votes needed to pass, many of the Republican members who would be in support are those that are retiring, leaving office, not running for re-election. So it's a bit of a departing gift rather than a statement of advocacy for these proposals. But that's what's being talked about. And I wanted to share that with you. Let's talk for a minute about the leadership perspective. And I'll offer both sides of the coin. Is it best to do something rather than to do nothing regarding gun violence? Well, the sort of reasonable logical would be, well, certainly, if we could get make some steps forward, some steps in the right direction might reduce gun violence, might address somehow, in some small way, the gun culture, certainly if it could affect mass shootings, wouldn't those be good things? Well, the simple answer from a leadership perspective certainly would be yes. Improvement. You know, in management classes, we often talk about continuous improvement. We start and we make the improvement. And then over time, we improve it more and more and more. We continuously improve. Continuous improvement programs. Talk about that in business school. Many of you live it in your leadership journeys. How to get better. Isn't that small step a step in getting better and better and better over time. There's a good case for that. But unfortunately, there's also a comma, but and, and sadly, we have to deal with that as well. And, and you as leaders have to deal with that as well. What if the action you take as a leader actually backfires? What if you take these proposals and again, We're not at a place where these would all be accepted or accepted in the forms that I've briefly described them. But what if we did that and then the Republicans, these are the opponents to the legislation, what if the Republicans say, all right, Democrats, you liberal left people, we we gave you what you asked for. You've got it. And now look, gun violence continues. So as we've always said, it's your fault. We need more guns. We need people to protect themselves because you can't do it. It backfires. If by doing this, these small, and they really are small steps, but positive steps, are just going to be turned around as use a metaphor, cannon fire by the Republicans to say, see, we gave you what you asked for, and look, this violence continues. It's a democratic problem. This polarity, this us versus them, this finger pointing may have the opposite effect of improvement. It may have a more polarizing and negative effect. So what are the consequences then of that negative effect? Well, let's look at some of the underlying issues. Chicago is a city that is in the news often for gun violence, far too much gun violence. And in my previous podcast, I gave data, nationwide data on gun violence. The sort of macro picture, because it's important. But, so to speak, what if we peel that onion and we look at not just the large data, but look at the underlying meaning of what that data is all about? Well, what we find is that gun violence is highly concentrated. 35 people were killed in Buffalo, Uvalde, Texas, and Tulsa, Oklahoma over the past few weeks. Now many of you listening are absolutely aware of all that. We've had a focus, uh, a national attention, on the gun violence issue, certainly the gun culture in our country. But what happened beyond those headline events, as important and significant as they are? What's the underlying data? And the underlying data is at this, at the same time as those three sort of front page stories on gun violence, same time frame. 1,800, yeah, 1,800 people were killed and almost 500 wounded in 16 other shootings. 1,600 other shootings. So, one more time. While these major mass shooting events are going on, incredibly important again, there were another 1800 people killed and 500 wounded in 1600 other shootings. The mass shootings, hugely important, need to be addressed but account for less than four percent of gun homicides in a typical year. I mentioned Chicago, so let's look at that. If you are a black person in Chicago, they're 40 times more likely to be shot to death than your white peers. This is by an analysis by the University of Chicago Crime Lab. This violence is highly concentrated. If you look at the city of Chicago and, you know, just look at city blocks, less than 4% of those city blocks of Chicago account for the majority of shootings, again, according to the crime lab. Black and brown neighborhoods suffer higher rates of poverty. And violence, in particular gun violence, concentrates around these communities of poverty. So as I started with, while these numbers are reported and I've done so myself through the national lens, national data, the reality on the ground is that only a small slice of the population And typically, poor, black, and brown communities suffer disproportionately high incidence of gun violence. Two very different worlds. So let's look recently here at Memorial Day weekend in Chicago. 51 people were shot over Memorial Day weekend in Chicago. That's a five-year high. Almost all, almost all of those victims, though, were on the city's south and west sides, which are mostly black and brown. So the macro data, the national data, that lens that we see reported, and I've certainly reported, absolutely accurate. But when we peel that onion, using Chicago as an example, these wealthier, parts of Chicago, whiter parts of Chicago, look very much like a modern city, robust, alive. Parking meters, places to charge your smartphone, packed businesses, residents driving around on scooters and electric bikes, but what about those black and brown those impoverished neighborhoods well they're highlighted also highlighted by disinvestment homes in disrepair boarded up buildings few or no stores we certainly saw that recently in buffalo the tops supermarket mass shooting. So it's a cycle, a vicious cycle. The concentration of violence comes from a root of poverty, which leads to the violence, which leads to the disinvestment, which leads to more poverty and more violence. Round and round and round. But communities that have a host of social supports are able to keep us violence at bay, providing good jobs, better schools, parks, recreation centers, police that respond. So a microcosm of Chicago, endemic of the larger national problem, is this cycle of disenfranchisement and poverty, really desperation, leading to violence. And that violence exhibiting itself frequently, far too frequently, in gun violence. What about other countries with similar backgrounds? Not identical, we're all different, but similar. What if we looked at Britain, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Norway, each of these countries has a historical culture of gun ownership and each of them has tightened restrictions on guns. Their violence statistics, again both macro and micro, So I think it's important to look at it both as I've just highlighted, now diverge sharply from us here in the United States. So the record is really quite clear. And all of the studies, and there have been many, many, have analyzed the effects of policies like Britain's or Australia's, any of these countries that I've mentioned, who went to stricter gun laws, the elimination of gun laws, safety in gun laws, when countries tighten gun control laws, it leads to fewer guns in the hands of private citizens, which leads to less gun violence and absolutely fewer mass shootings. I've commented on that before in my previous podcast on gun gun violence. But what we have now is messaging coming from the Republican Party to don't try to go too far. Don't go too much. A lot of them are concerned about the National Rifle Association. Well, it turns out that most of their constituents are not aligned with that. Most Americans, and in some cases overwhelming majorities, favor legislation that the current group of congressmen and senators talking on this issue won't even put on the table. The messaging from gun manufacturers really has been quite Successful. Last November, after the jury acquitted Kyle Rittenhouse of two shooting deaths during the anti-racist protests in 2020, a Florida gun dealer put an image of him brandishing an assault assault rifle saying, be a man among men, sort of appealing to this testosterone component. Selling handguns for personal safety and military style weapons to young people. Very, very different marketing, very, very different messaging approach than hunting. Well, what's been the result? Well, I think we know, of course, firearm sales have skyrocketed. Background checks, the things that we can't get even on the table to discuss as a universal check background checks have risen from 8.5 million in the year 2000 to 38.9 million this past year. Here's an interesting factoid. Women spurred by these appeals out in the public, this messaging that play on the fears of women, being caught unprepared. Women are now the fastest growing segment of gun buyers. Wow. Well, the bottom line is people feel that their self-esteem is being attacked, that they have a lack of trust in others, that there's a fear of losing control, All of the messaging surrounding this, this appeal of fear, threat, has been hugely successful. Well, I'll end this by saying that there's a number of people that could be actors. Certainly, I've touched on these people discussing the current legislation, the House and the Senate, but they need to act. They need to act in a meaningful way, and the current discussions haven't even led to text, let alone legislation. And there's already overtures by the Republicans saying, don't be too aggressive, don't overreach, or you won't even get this. A threat of their own. Well, what about other groups? Certainly the Council on Foreign Relations has done a a recent uh, piece, which I think has been really quite helpful talking about there's the title of the article it was in a webinar the changing landscape of terrorism in the united states just have to use that word it's who we are it's our identity it talks about the role of extremism and supremism talks about white supremism, talks about Western supremism, talks about Christian supremism, goes on and on about what faith groups, faith leaders are doing to advance extremism, white extremism, Christian and evangelical extremism in our country. Well packaged, well messaged, but very purposeful. There is a theory called replacement theory where these groups are trying to intimate that, Migrants coming in are here to replace you. People of color, people of other faiths, Islam, Muslims coming into the country are here with purpose and intent, which is absolutely not the case. So this disinformation and misinformation often from the pulpit, from our faith leaders, church leaders. And of course, again, I'll refer to an earlier series uh, of the Leadership Works podcast where I talked about the institutional leadership failures of the Catholic Church. Detailing just what I'm describing. Misinformation, disinformation, Principles, values, tenets that are not consistent with the Catholic Church. Certainly, similar events are now going on with the Baptist Church most recently. Trying to get a slate of leaders with an agenda that's conforming to the political right, Republican point of view, about white supremacy, about Christian supremacy, about why we can't allow others to be a part of our country because they're just coming here to take us, to replace us, and to enslave us. These are deep-seated, deep-rooted, calculated, and you say, oh no, they're not doing that. Well, I think I've shared in my earlier podcast, how the Catholic church does this routinely, talking about abortion as an example. Holy cow, not consistent with Catholic values, but yet they do it. So this supremism from religious leaders, faith leaders, Another key, actually, to this issue of gun violence. We need to stand up and say no. But they have not. All right. Many, many ways to affect change. I mentioned faith leaders here at the end. A key and important component to addressing gun violence, the gun culture, and certainly mass shootings in the United States. Supremism has no place. And faith leaders need to stand up to that. Congressmen and senators need to stand up to addressing what their constituents support. Not just dipping a toe and hoping that that will solve things. Or dipping a toe in hopes that then the Republicans can turn around and blame Democrats. Because gun violence will persist. This is a crisis in the United States. There is a gun culture crisis. Leaders and leadership must play a key role. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate it very much. Take care. Thank you all for tuning in. We sincerely hope you will tune in again to the Leadership Works podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. And of course, we hope you will subscribe and be a regular listener. Again, thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Works podcast. Have a great day.